it does take time, it does take preparation, it does take a little bit of effort and research to find what works for you and what you crave in your diet too. And it's never done because there's always new things coming out. So it's nice to be able to explore what makes you happy and what makes you feel good. This is episode 23 of the Eat Your Veg podcast with me, Elizabeth Emery. Vegan Trends of 2021. Welcome to Eat Your Veg, a podcast for all things plant-based. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery, a vegan food blogger and recipe developer based in Vancouver, BC. In these short podcasts, we'll explore all aspects of eating a vegan diet, from sharing the best plant-based milks and cheeses, to explaining exactly how to cook tofu and why you're still getting it wrong. If you're a brand new vegan, or if you're simply looking to eat more plant-based meals and want a bit of guidance, this podcast is for you. Hi everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I thought it'd be fun to use this last episode of season one to talk about some of the biggest vegan trends of 2021, because there have been some really cool ones so far, and it's a really interesting space. But firstly... I need to say a huge thank you to you for listening to this podcast. It seems almost unbelievable that we've come to the end of season one of Eat Your Veg already. That's 23 episodes now and it's crazy. The idea for this podcast started as an entry to a plant-based competition run by a Canadian brand. And although we didn't get shortlisted, we decided to make the podcast anyway, just to see if sharing plant-based tips and inspiration was actually useful to people. And honestly, we've been totally blown away by your response. Our aim was to hit 1,000 downloads, which we did. And as I record this, we're already well over 2,000 downloads heading for 3,000, which feels (laughs) absolutely amazing. So it's really great to know we're providing something valuable to you and we're so grateful to you for listening. And you've probably also noticed I say we a lot on this podcast. And that's because there are actually three of us behind it. Myself, Elizabeth or Lizzie. I write and host the podcast episodes. Then you've got Brianna, who acts as producer and editor, who comes up with so many ideas and who basically reins me in and shortens my excessively long episode titles. And then we have Grady, who is also a complete driving force behind the project and has loads of great ideas. He edits it and is also our go-to wizard for all things techie. And I have to be completely honest with you here. If it wasn't for the initial enthusiasm of these two, the podcast probably wouldn't have started in the first place. So I'm personally pretty grateful to them for giving me that push to do something I have always wanted to start. And so in that vein, I thought it'd be fun to invite one of my conspirators onto today's episode. It's a really exciting time to go vegan right now. More people than ever are concerned about climate change, and many are making the switch for that reason, as well as concern over animal rights and health. And I think the movement is only going to increase as we've seen the numbers go up year on year. So in this episode, myself and my producer, Brianna, are going to chat about four of the biggest vegan trends we've seen in 2021. This episode is a little different to what we usually do, I'm aware of that, and it's a little longer because of this. So without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, so welcome everyone. This is a slightly unusual episode because it's our last episode in season one of the podcast. We're here already and I thought I would invite my colleague on the podcast, Brie, Brianna, on to join us today. We're going to talk about some of the latest vegan trends 
and we're just going to have a chat and discuss what we've tried and what we haven't. So Brie, would you like to introduce yourself to everyone listening? <laughs> Thank you, Lizzie. <laughs> My name is Brianna Lawler. I am a co-producer of Lizzie's Eat Your Veg podcast and yeah you are (laughs) in my day job I'm a content writer and uh, previously a video producer so thank you Lizzie so much for having me on your podcast my podcast is our podcast no I'm glad (laughs) very glad to have you on here it's lovely to have a conversation with somebody else who isn't just me I thought you guys might get sick of hearing me prattle on all the time so it'd be fun to have a second person on to chat with (laughs) it does change the dynamic a little bit doesn't it it does it does it makes quite a difference and this is the first time either of us have recorded together so it's quite a a different experience isn't it it's quite fun Mm -hmm. So without further ado, we thought we would chat about some of the main vegan trends that we're seeing come up this year. And there are many, there are way too many to go over, way too many to cover in this podcast. But we thought we would pick out four particular vegan trends that either Brie or myself or both of us have tried and that we see becoming particularly big in 2021 and are just really quite innovative, interesting trends. So the first one we're going to look at today is vegan fish. And there's one vegan fish product that you have tried and you've absolutely loved, isn't that? <laughs> Why don't you tell us about that? Oh man, I, I have to give credit to my mum for introducing me <laughs> to this particular product because it was it was at the tail end of 2020 and she said, Brianna, you have to try these crab cakes they are amazing. They're life-changing. <laughs> so they're, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, mom, like crab cakes, who cares? And she's like, no, 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 like they're, they're vegan. They're amazing. I've ordered, I've ordered a case. <laughs> a case, an entire case. And I think that's 12 bags or something. And she, <laughs> she would not stop talking about them. So this is like November, 2020. And I said, okay, I've heard enough about these crab cakes. Please don't bring them up again until 2021. <laughs> And it was really tough for her because she loved them so much. But you know what? She was not wrong. They are incredible and they are beyond any regular crab cake I've tried. But they're vegan. They're made out of celeriac root. They are. And chickpea flour. I I have to jump in and say I actually finally tried these last night after you, Brie, telling me for months on end I needed to try these damn crab cakes. (laughs) Just like my mum did to me. Yes. Peer pressure, it works. I really enjoyed them. I really enjoyed them. And I have to be completely honest here. I have zero memory of what fish tastes like because I've been vegetarian since I was a child. So I have no idea how authentic they are, but they were really tasty, like really tasty. Um, A little bit slightly fatty tasting, which I found Mm -hmm. just a slightly unique taste, but they were delicious. They didn't really need much, if any, seasoning. And I should just mention very quickly, because we haven't said this to our listeners, it's the modern meat crab cakes. So this Mm -hmm. is specifically, I believe, a Vancouver-based company that create fake meat products, but from whole foods. So they do meatballs that are made primarily from beets and things like that. So they may not be available all over, but I know crab cakes are getting quite a lot bigger around the world, as are all of these alternative fish products. So you really, really love the crab cakes, don't you? You're quite quite obsessed with them it would be fun I, to say. <laughs> I it's not a stretch to say that I'm obsessed I <laughs> I agree with you like I find that they're very refreshing but they're they're satiating and the package comes with six and I try to restrict just two at a time because otherwise they go so fast 
but you're right. Like we really don't need too much in the way of seasoning or sauces. And usually I'll add like sort of a spicy vegan mayo with them too. But truthfully, just with a squeeze of lemon with them on yeah. rice with some salad greens, that's that's enough. Like they every single bite is satisfying. Yeah, I, I did the same and I found them really satisfying, really hearty because they have that proteiny feel as well. I think there's pea protein in there and it just, it really kind of lifted them and gave them a really good texture. And have you tried any other vegan fish alternatives yet? So far, I have not. I'm really curious to try some salmon or mm-hmm. carrot-based ones yes. that taste like salmon, but I haven't ventured too far into the foray of plant-based fish options. It's still quite new, I think. I've tried carrot locks or carrot smoked salmon, mm-hmm. whatever you refer to it as, and I really enjoyed it. Again, I have no memory of what smoked salmon tastes like, so everyone's like, oh, it tastes so like smoked salmon, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know, <laughs> it might do, I have no idea. <laughs> but it was tasty, and I think the one I had had some like some maple smoke on it. Mm. It was really good, but we should say, yeah, uh, smoked salmon is... The vegan smoked salmon is primarily made from carrots out here. And I think I think it's a worldwide thing. I know smoked salmon is particularly big on the west coast of Canada. <laughs> yeah. But I think other brands are making their own. So I really recommend that. It's a really nice one, particularly on bagels and things like that. And I believe one of the other big fish products is tuna that's come out. And I haven't tried any of those. I'm really, really curious to know what that tastes like. The most... The closest I've come to with that is having like a chickpea, flake chickpea salad sandwich, which is supposed to simulate the taste of tuna. I don't know if you tried that. No, but I could, you know, just texture wise and how it sort of feels in your palate. Like I could see that that would work really well Mm. as a replacement because so much of it seems to be like, is it a similar texture and does it smell the same? Does it taste the same? And if it's pretty close texture wise, then it almost like tricks your mind into thinking that it's the same thing, but it happens to be vegan. And I think that's what some of those brands have done really well is the texture matches the real thing, but it's a plant-based version. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what people are after mainly, isn't it? It's the simulation of the thing they miss. And again, I'm not the best one to speak to this because I don't miss it and I don't remember it, but I think if that's what you're looking for, it's a really helpful product to have on the market and to have available because it just gives you all of those things, whether it's taste, texture that you're missing. And Mm -hmm. it's been really interesting seeing vegan fish products come to the forefront this year. And I think they're only going to get bigger. I'm really, really curious to see what other fish products are going to come out. But Mm -hmm. yes, that is definitely one of our main 2021 trends so far. I think it's an incredible arena for different brands to explore. I mean, there's so many Netflix documentaries that speak to how the world is being overfished and how this is a problem and and there's solutions and a lot of it points towards what you choose to put on your plate. So I think it's wonderful that brands are experimenting and and getting it right and doing a really good job of it. So I'm, I'm excited to try more. I think, you know, we're fortunate to live in a time where it is accessible and it's not something you have to concoct in your kitchen at home. You can go to the grocery store and get it in the frozen food section and then there you go. It's the same, same thing. And especially when you have so many people who maybe haven't grown up as a vegetarian or a vegan and they're used to having meat or fish in their diet and then they're trying to switch, it's a much easier transition to go from one version to something that's different but has the same texture. Yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what comes out in the next six months to a year. 
Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you mentioned the the Netflix documentaries. I guess yeah. key key of which would be the Seaspiracy documentary. Because of documentaries like that, we're only going to see an increase in the demand for these types of products. And I think it's really smart for these companies to get ahead and start marketing them and putting them out there now because people are certainly going to be looking. They're going to yep. want they're going to want fish alternatives. Sometimes I find these documentaries too horrifying to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I really struggle to what you know there's a reason I became vegan <laughs> because I really struggle to see this sort of animal exploitation yeah they're, they're not easy to watch and I think it's very understandable that it makes many people question their lifestyle choices and make switches for sure so let's move on to trend number two and it's quite a specific one we are looking at the just folded egg i don't know if any of you guys have tried this product just launched a liquid egg uh maybe a year ago possibly slightly more and in the last few months they've just come out with a folded egg so specifically like folded fried egg for breakfast sandwiches and things like that is it omelet type of texture style and I this is relatively new to me again my super modern mom introduced me to it a week and a half ago (laughs) but I have yet to buy and try one so I'm super curious to know how it is it's actually really good I was pleasantly surprised I went and bought it this last week I've still not tried the liquid just egg the original one that came out and It's for anyone listening who's not in North America, this is a US brand called Just and they specifically make egg products. I don't believe they're available in Europe yet, but I'm sure they will be on their way there fairly soon. So the folded egg is like a folded omelette-y style egg specifically for breakfast sandwiches and things like that. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't overly impressed by the price tag. It's $12 for a pack of four. I didn't love also that they're all individually wrapped inside this pack as well, which a little bit of me eco-consciously died inside when I opened it. But I have the same experience Yeah, with, with a lot of products that are individually wrapped that happen to be plant-based or vegan. they It drives me crazy. But then I also look mm-hmm. at the big picture and I'm like, well, you're still doing better things for the planet. So you can't do everything. Not everything can be compostable packaging. Exactly. It gets too expensive. It's cost prohibitive. So look at the positives that it is. Totally. And I'm sure there's a reason they're putting them in individual packaging. They must they must not stay together or they must kind of stick to each other or something if they're out of them. But it was really tasty, actually. I really liked it. And again, not the best person to judge because I, I never really liked the taste of eggs when I was vegetarian. Um, and I never really had egg in a sandwich per se. But this was really delicious. It kind of had an almost fried tofu sort of texture, which I think is is not dissimilar to fried egg in some ways, but the taste was subtle. It didn't have a really, really strong eggy taste, which I find sometimes sort of replacement products can overdo a bit. I don't know if you've experienced that as well. I've tried so few egg replacement products. I mean, eggs was one of the last things that I sort of migrated away from my diet as I attempted to become uh, a better vegan. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Like there is a very key taste, standout taste with eggs. Yes. And so it's, it'd be interesting to know if that is, is a replica or close enough. But again, do you think it's more of a texture thing based on the style of the product? Yeah, I think it's more texture. And I looked at the ingredients list and the, the ingredients list is actually fairly clean, dare I say that word. It There wasn't 
a ton of stuff in there. Um, the main ingredient in the folded egg is mung bean protein, which was really interesting. And that's probably why it gives it that slightly tofu-y texture, because tofu comes from soybeans, doesn't it? Um, so the but cousins. It was, yeah, exactly. But it was subtle. The taste of the cousin of soybeans. <laughs> But it was a really good taste. It was really nice. I really enjoyed it. Definitely not overwhelmingly eggy, subtle, but good. And I would I would definitely have it again. If I had it in a restaurant, I'd be quite happy with it. But I think the price tag does put me off a bit for buying it at home. Well, I mean, if you do a comparison between what a carton of eggs costs, so let's say, let's even lean towards higher quality eggs. So organic, mm-hmm. free range maybe um, SPCA certified, animal yeah. kind certified, those run you anywhere from six fifty seven to eight fifty a carton. But let's mm-hmm. just for the sake of easy math, call it yeah. $6 a carton. So $0.50 cents an egg, that's relatively inexpensive if you have two or three eggs for your breakfast. Yeah. So if you look at that compared to the just egg at $3 per serving, exactly, it's, it's more than double. And so yeah. if you have a family or even a couple and you both want to eat this just egg, that becomes quite expensive to do as sort of your regular breakfast. So it does, it requires you to change your lifestyle to directly replace. Um, But I guess that's just where you minimize, right? And you maybe have as a treat on weekends or something. Yeah, I I think that's the key thing, seeing it as a treat food. And I think when a lot of people make the switch towards plant-based, they kind of balk at the idea of these costs because they're so elevated mm-hmm. because they're convenience products. But mm-hmm. I think we have to keep it in perspective that they are convenience products and they are treat products. Yeah. Because lentils and beans sure don't cost that amount if you're just buying, you know, your whole food ingredients. No. But it's, yeah, it's a lovely treat. I really enjoyed it. Uh, would I buy it again? Probably not because of the price tag and because I honestly don't really make fried egg sandwiches particularly regularly, but I did like it, definitely. Yeah, so that's that not being part of your regular diet. I can see how you could just say, maybe not for me, but maybe for someone else who really likes their omelette with sourdough toast or loves to have... So it was structured in such a way that it's it's an, a folded egg. Like when you pour it or when you put it in your pan, how did you prepare it? Oh, it's very easy. Literally, you just, it's its absolutely a structured, folded piece of egg. You just whack it in a skillet with some oil and cook it for like five minutes, both sides or something. No, I think it's five minutes total. It's something really short. So it's already fully cooked. It's just frozen when you get it. So you're reheating it. It's very easy. When you purchase it and it's frozen, do you then refrigerate it overnight before you prepare it? Or no. it's direct from frozen? From frozen. Cook it from wow. frozen. Yeah, so it's very straightforward and simple. And I can really see the bonus of someone like you say who perhaps really just loves fried egg and kind of misses sorry that not necessarily fried egg but that omelet consistency in their sandwiches on their sourdough if that's what they miss and they love it it would be the perfect product for them really and Mm -hmm. yeah I'm just I'm glad I'm glad we have options like this I think would I buy it again probably not but it's really really exciting to see Mm -hmm. these options happening and I'm so curious to see what just come out with next they've gone from liquid egg to folded egg I don't know what are they going to do is it going to be an actual fried egg next I'm very interested to see what comes out definitely some fascinating R&D happening there you know to look at what's available and what do people want and then try and create it in a mung bean version that's just incredible technology at play yeah Um, isn't it it really is yeah it's Mm. it's pretty exciting to to see what's coming out so 
Um, okay, well, thank you for bringing that up because I am curious to try it and I will put it on my to-try list. I hope uh, you do. I recommend trying it just out of curiosity if you fancy <laughs> splurging $12 on it. Yeah, I'd give it a go, for sure. <laughs> Shall we move on to our third trend? Let's. So number three is vegan milk chocolate. And I think we probably both have a fair amount to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a fun one I know for a fact we have both tried vegan milk chocolates so would you like to start off and tell me which ones you've tried and what your thoughts were sure so chocolate was one of those things where um I kind of realized like, you don't need to have milk and chocolate for it to be good and creamy and delicious mm -hmm. it's really that cocoa base that cocoa butter and then the cacao and and just yeah experimenting with what's out there um couple brands that I really like. I love Zimt based yes. out of Vancouver, which, and they are incredible. Like the, the woman that runs it, she also, her values are amazing. She has compostable packaging. Everything's dairy-free, vegan. It's just, it's way harder to be a chocolate company with those standards. It's way more expensive, but what she creates, they are satiating. They are addictive. It is unbelievably tasty what she produces. So Love everything they put out. Zim to Vancouver. Zim to Brilliant. And that's Emma, who's the founder of that. And I know for a fact she really, really cares about everything she makes. And that really shows in, in the company, I think, and in the cafe that they've now opened in Vancouver. Have you tried their milk chocolate specifically? I have not because I don't live in Vancouver. But no. believe me, next time <laughs> I'm there, I am going to try it. <laughs> it's one of the best I think we've talked about this previously but there are one of two brands whose milk chocolate I love and Zimt is absolutely one of them they actually use coconut in their milk chocolate and I was talking to Emma a couple of weeks ago when I went into the cafe actually and I found out they actually like grind their own coconut flakes to make their own coconut butter so not cocoa wow. butter but coconut butter or manna to actually go in the milk chocolate to give it that milky consistency so you really Unreal. can tell when you try it, it's that good. I'll, I'll have to send mm -hmm. you some, I think, because it's just, mm -hmm. it's just perfect. So it's perfect. <laughs> Definitely one of the best. So for anyone looking for a good milk, vegan milk chocolate bar, if you're local to Vancouver, we highly, I highly recommend going for the Zimt. It's called the Milkless Way, I believe, their milk chocolate bar. Oh, I think she's in a lot of stores. I mean, here in Victoria, she's at lifestyle markets and at Whole Foods and a lot of sort of the more boutique-y style of grocery stores and, and her chocolates are available. So um, it is accessible. And I believe, like, I don't know for sure exactly what it is, but they do ship from their website too. So I believe so, yes. Anywhere in the world, if you're inclined to try uh, Vancouver And you should, chocolate. you should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we recommend. But yeah, there are more and more brands popping up and there's only a handful, but I'd love to hear what you've tried and what you like of the milk chocolate variety. Zimt was definitely one of my two favourites. And these are quite recent tries, actually. I have to say I found vegan milk chocolate pretty disappointing up until this year, actually. Like, it, it's always made with soy and rice. And it for me, it just fails in general. They don't manage to get the creamy consistency. It's just it's just not hitting the mark. And then this year, I don't know what changed, but the Zimt product, which actually may have come out last year, is brilliant and then I also had the pleasure of trying Zazubean, who are they're a Van another Vancouver-based company, but they sell all over Canada. Um, I don't believe they're in the States yet, 
but they've just launched a vegan milk chocolate that coincidentally is zero sugar as well because it's sweetened with stevia and erythritol and it's called creamy hazelnut Mm-hmm. so not only is it milk chocolate but it's hazelnut flavored so oh. kind of nutella i mean the best combination right chocolate and hazelnut you can't yeah. go wrong with that <laughs> sounds delicious it's amazing and i believe that one is made with coconut no it's not made with coconut milk it's made with oat milk mm. and it's just it's so so good brie it's so good you have to try this one it's absolutely brilliant i haven't had Except for the Zimt one, no other vegan milk chocolate has compared. I don't know how they managed to get the creaminess so perfectly. I know their chocolates are made in Italy. I don't wow. know if that perhaps... Sorry, not Italy, Switzerland. They're made in Switzerland, Oh my gosh. Is that it's, not the chocolate capital of the it's world? It's one of the Europe countries. <laughs> yeah, right. Switzerland or Belgium? I can't remember. Yes, it's... I, th- oh, I think it's Belgium. I think it's Belgium. But these are definitely, definitely made in Switzerland or Italy. And I will remember at some point, but this is another excellent vegan milk chocolate. And other than that, my experiences have been pretty disappointing with vegan milk chocolate. You make a valid point because without the creamy consistency, a lot of the dark chocolates that are vegan are more chalky, they're Mm -hmm. bitter. They just don't have the same connection you have when you have a bite of a chocolate bar. So I get it, like trying to find that sweet spot with the milk chocolate creaminess versus the dark chocolate where it's like you have a couple bites and you're it's not the same it's not the same experience at all it's different yeah and i have to say actually i adore dark chocolate so i i've been very happy with the vegan chocolate that's dark that i found on offer which you know inherently as a side note all dark chocolate should really be vegan because it shouldn't include any milk products if anyone's wondering out there i i really love all of Zazie Bean and Zimt's bars, regardless of whether they're dark or milk, I think they make excellent chocolate. Zimt's chocolates are all raw, just to point out to anyone wondering, and Zazie Bean's are not. But they have different flavours, but they're both equally delicious, I think, and wonderful at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I really love dark chocolate, but for milk chocolate specifically, I think this is this is the year of vegan milk chocolate. Yeah, me too. <laughs> there's, there's another brand that's coming to mind, and I'm trying to think which of their bars specifically are vegan, because I'm not convinced that all of them are, but Alter Ego oh, is another yes. one. And I'm trying to remember if their milk chocolate is vegan or not. And I, off the top of my head, like I'm trying to, you know, you read so many labels. Yeah, um, I know. I tried one of their bars earlier this year. I think it was orange flavored with Nibsen or something. Or no, mm-hmm. it might have been white chocolate with Nibsen. I, it was the first one I tried of theirs and it actually I didn't like it that much it was kind of chalky and mm-hmm. had a weird crumbly texture I don't know if I just got a bad bar like I say it's the only one I've tried but everyone had said good things about them so I was mm-hmm. a bit surprised that it wasn't it didn't quite yeah. live up to expectations <laughs> yeah and in all fairness I have tried some of their non-vegan bars and those ones are incredible so maybe it's just trying to find that sweet spot with deleting the butter element out of it so I have a question actually in sure. this milk chocolate, vegan milk chocolate theme. I have my own suspicion and theory as to why this is, but why do you think vegan milk chocolate is just improving now? Great question. I think there wasn't a demand for it before in the same way. There probably wasn't the same amount of knowledge or information floating around. People didn't think that there was Unless you had an allergy or something, why would you even look at the back of a chocolate bar and question the ingredients? I think it's just people paying more attention and not wanting dairy in every treat that they have. 
I, I agree. I think I think demand is a huge, huge motivator for change to the market, for change to the products that come out. I personally also think the reason it's got so much better this year or last year right now is because we've seen such an increase in uses of things like coconut milk and oat milk. Whereas before, you know, I remember the days where it was just soy milk or maybe rice milk, if you were lucky. Um, there just weren't the options like cashew and oat and people weren't really using coconut milk for anything sort of beyond curries. You know, we now make whipped coconut cream as a replacement for double or heavy cream. And that just wasn't a thing before. So I think those products coming to prominence has made a really big difference in the availability of these milk replacements for the chocolate itself. And I think we're only going to get more and more as time goes on, for sure. And I'm excited to see what else comes out. Are there any milk chocolate products that are vegan that you're looking forward to trying? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I think I need to write a, long, a laundry list. And I, for a time, I kept a Google document of different things that I wanted to try. And I think I need to pick that back up again. But yes. you make a really good point, like the prominence and accessibility of these non-dairy milks that honestly aren't that weird. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people don't necessarily think that soy is sort of a uh, a main thing they have in their diet, but oats they're familiar with, almonds they're familiar with, cashews yes. familiar with. So it's sort of like a natural, okay, of course that would be a, a milk product. Like, why wouldn't I use that? And it's, again, you come back to the texture and the taste and how it's not drastically different. And it just makes it so easy to accept the plant-based version of it. So Exactly. Yeah, you make a really good point though, because even just thinking, like I remember being a teenager and going to Starbucks and, you know, you had to pay extra to get the non-dairy milk, which yes. which when you kind of look at what goes into the production of dairy, in theory, the plant-based stuff should be way cheaper, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be 30 cents extra to get soy milk Agreed. Um, or, or coconut. And then I think that's still the case. Like they don't necessarily, I haven't looked at a bill lately, but it should just be an easy switch. But previously, you could only get two alternative milks, and now there's probably nine, mm, depending multiple. on where you go. Yeah, so many options. It's actually a bit mind-boggling. Boggling. <laughs> it's actually a bit mind-boggling. I think when you go into a coffee shop and they're like, "Do you want cashew, oat, soy, coconut?" and you're just like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Just give me something." It's wonderful. It's so exciting to see all of these it is. new options coming up. I think. So shall we move on to our fourth trend? Because let's do it. I'm aware we could talk about this for hours. So trend number four that we're seeing for this year, particularly, is the rise in fermented foods and drinks and specifically things like kombucha, kimchi, kefir, sauerkraut, cultured vegan yogurts, etc. I think with the rise in interest between the gut brain link that's now sort of really coming to prominence in nutrition etc i think people are realizing how important it is to have probiotics so cultured foods and drinks play a huge part in that and so what if any of these things have you tried that you've enjoyed brie i've tried a lot and i've definitely gone through some phases of trying cultured foods and cultured drinks and different vegan plant-based yogurts it's fun to see which ones are done really well and which ones are sort of leaving a little bit more room for improvement I guess yeah this isn't even a drink but there's a fermented salsa that I really like and I think it's called like salsa rojo it's just incredible and I don't know I like how I feel when I have fermented foods I just Mm -hmm. everything sort of feels like it's better connected and yeah I really like a good like coconut lemon 
vegan yogurt. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, with maybe co- cultured coconut milk with a lemon flavor. I mean, that's my go to. Mm. Those are really good. <laughs> coconut yogurt's the best. And I actually feel like we don't even do it as well as we could here in Canada. So, as as many of you probably realize, if you listen to the podcast, I am not Canadian. I am, in fact, English and uh, grew up in the UK. And having gone back several times over the years just to visit, I really notice how well they actually do coconut yogurt. There's a couple of brands called Koyo and Coconut Collaborative, and they're the creamiest coconut yogurts. I've ever had they're absolutely incredible they're just dessert basically and the ones we have here like Yoso I think they're fantastic but they're very different there's a real difference they don't have the same indulgent creaminess as um as they do in the UK so I find it really fascinating to see the difference in these cultured products that in theory are the same but they're not as you go from country to country it's quite quite cool actually to see I know I'm no um <laughs> vegan yogurt expert not yet anyway <laughs> Well, it's something to add to your resume in future, isn't it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> what about kombucha and kefir and things like that? Have you tried them? Kombucha, I've tried a ton, a ton. And I really, I really like it. And I can't even, honestly, I prefer homemade the best, but mm. it's the convenience factor, right? Being able to just get a bottle of it. It's like really satisfying. It's extra cold. It's just the flavors are, are well done. But yeah, I haven't had kombucha for a little bit, um, probably because of the season, right? As soon as it gets warmer out, I crave it more versus in the winter and the spring where I would rather have tea or something. Yeah. I, How about you? Well, I drink it year round because I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's, as a friend of mine out here recently said, it's just like healthy pop, isn't it? <laughs> and for anyone listening who's not had kombucha, it's basically, oh, I think that's the best description, isn't it? Healthy pop. It's a fizzy drink. Mm-hmm. It's a fermented tea, which makes it sound dreadful. But it's fizzy and sweet and flavoured and delicious. It has a really good taste. And I personally really like the brand GTs. I really like their ginger kombucha. It's so, so good. I love ginger kombucha. Yes. It's just so drinkable. Like, why is that? I I don't know about you, but I've found um, if I ever get food poisoning or something and I'm feeling really nauseous, I actually find drinking kombucha helps to stop me being nauseous. I don't... I guess it's the probiotics in it, but it really seems to work. It could be the ginger too. It could also be the ginger. Yeah. <laughs> the ginger is like an anti-nausea sort of godsend. Yeah, um, right. But I've tried it. it with other flavors as well and it's it's worked. So That's I think amazing. the probiotics must just like reline your stomach or something. So Sure. It's, it's good to know that one works. And um, like you have tried kefir as well. We went through a phase of making it at home for a while. Again, loved it. For anyone how? listening who doesn't know, kefir is similar to kombucha. How do we make it? Yeah, how do you make vegan kefir at home? It's water-based. It's a, called water kefir. So it's going to test my memory. You basically buy um, kefir, what are they called? The little... Balls. <laughs> I've completely forgotten what they're called. They're like little seed almost type jellyish things. Um, the word has completely escaped my mind. But Pearls? You- I don't think they're called pearls. <laughs> Maybe they are. Maybe I don't know. I Something actually don't know like the that. term. This is why I'm throwing things your way. <laughs> it'll you'll be asleep tonight and you'll be like, oh, that's what it's it'll, called. It'll it'll suddenly come to me. But you add those are the things you ferment, so you have to get them to start with, and then you add water. I think we added raisins and coconut sugar to ours, and it it ferments over the course of the day. So you end up with quite a lot. We kind of couldn't keep up with drinking it, to be honest. 
but it's very similar tasting to kombucha. It has that fizzy, effervescent taste. I don't know if the yes. milk one is the same, probably is. I love the word effervescence. That's a great way to describe the experience. <laughs> effervescent. But I love that. And it's, I think we're seeing more brands of kefir and kombucha come up in the market all the time. Like there's a, a Canadian health food show here called CHFA West, which I went to last year. It wasn't on this year because of COVID. And the sheer amount of producers making kefir or kombucha or something else fermented. And, you know, we've not even covered things like sauerkraut and kimchi. Sauerkraut is fermented cabbage that you can make at home. We will actually put a link to my tutorial that I have on the blog to make your own sauerkraut in the show notes. It looks really um, good. Thanks. <laughs> but I don't know if you tried sauerkraut or if you tried kimchi. I can't I get on with kimchi. I have tried both. I, I love both. Probably kimchi more than sauerkraut. And I also really like, yeah, the salsa rojo that I mentioned, which I think is a combination of sort of the, there is cabbage in there and then there's tomatoes and peppers and onions. And it's just, I used to actually make, um, a long time ago, there was a lovely little boutique grocery store literally next door to us. And mm-hmm. I had a recipe for making fermented salsa at home. And so I would do that wow. and just, you know, let it sit on the counter for a couple of days. And it was addictive. Like we could, we could barely make it last a day or two once it was made because it was just something about it being fermented is, I don't know if it's an umami flavor or what, but it just was so satisfying, even more so than say regular salsa or something yeah. else yeah. that would be similar. But yeah, the fermented foods, I mean, they, they're very special. They are, they are. And they're just getting more and more popular all the time. I think, as I said, the more interested we get in gut health, and the link between that and the brain, I think we're just going to keep bringing more and more products out. So I haven't actually seen any brand new innovative ones coming out recently. They all kind of fall under the kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, kefir, yogurt Mm -hmm. umbrella. But I am very curious to see what comes out in 2022 or even towards the end of this year, I think. Yeah. It's, It's exciting. So that brings us to the end of our four trends. And I had one more question that I was going to ask you. Sure is do you, what do you see becoming big in the next year? What else, what other trends do you think are going to rise to prominence that aren't already here, if any, in the plant-based world? Uh, really good question, because I feel like there are so many. And to me, it seems like finding ways to replace what traditionally has been the center of the meal as a meat item is going to be the continuing trend. So whether that looks like yes. something that is a, a fish substitute or a meat substitute, but I can't say there's any one that stick out right now. I mean, I personally really like the, the beyond burgers and the different veggie burgers that are out there as a replacement, because it is, it is more challenging to get full when you have so many vegetables and you have to make sure you have that protein or that fat element. And so yeah, brands that are doing that really well, that are giving you that satisfying experience. Those are going to be the ones that I see rising in the trends for the next, you know, six months to a year. But I definitely try to keep my eye out on what's coming down the pipeline because there's, there's more and more brands coming up with things that you're like, how did you make that? Um, So it's exciting. It's a neat time to be in this space. Exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you say it's a lot of people, when they transition to more plant-based eating, they struggle with the protein aspect because, not because protein is at all lacking in a plant-based diet, it inherently isn't, but because they're so used to relying on meat and animal products for that protein that it, it requires a bit of a mental conversion, I think, to figure out what you need instead. And 
whilst lentils and beans and tofu and all of these good things are wonderful options. Sometimes I think particularly when you're transitioning or even when you're not, you just fancy something easy that you know is going to give you protein or you just fancy having something indulgent. And I think those meats, meat alternatives are kind of great for that. And I think it's great to have those options. I think so too. It does. It takes the challenging part of the equation, which is food preparation out of it and it makes it accessible, right? So, you know, if you've been a meat eater for 20, 25 years, 30 years, 60 years, you don't know how to make tofu and beans and, Mm. you know, different legumes from scratch. You just don't, it hasn't been part of your diet. And so when you can find an alternative that's already pre-made, it then opens up this whole other realm of possibility, which is where it's really exciting. Cause it's like, oh, okay. So I just crave that spice or that texture. It's not actually the meat that I wanted. It's how it felt or how it tasted. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's key. It's, it's the familiarity and the way it tasted. And I think the two big trends I'm interested in seeing come up in the next year or so, which I think they will, are the continuance of more plant-based meat alternatives, particularly things like pork that we're starting to see come up, which I haven't tried yet. And again, you know, I don't remember what pork tastes like, so I'm useless for telling people how realistic it is. But we're seeing things like that come up and I wonder what else they're going to be doing. Like, You know what would be a really beautiful one to see is a bacon substitute. Mm. I think there are some. One that really is like right on point. Like if you did a blind taste test, you wouldn't know which is which kind of thing. Because that's such a thing for so many people. It's such a thing. And and so much of it is the, the flavor and the texture and the fat that's in there rather than what the actual item is. It's it's a mental thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have to admit, I'm very much a uh, kind of more of a whole foodie vegan. I like my lentils. I like my <laughs> my beans and things like that. And I don't crave the meat products, but I do enjoy trying them. And they certainly have like a satisfying texture and taste and like sort of heartiness, don't they? That it's just great to see them recreating, I think. You know, it's, it's kind of satisfying when you like take one little baby step at a time and then you have a rewarding experience and then you explore something else and then you just... You get creative with your meals, but it does it does take time, it does take preparation, it does take a little bit of effort and research to find what works for you and what you crave in your diet too. And it's never done because there's always new things coming out. So it's nice to be able to explore what makes you happy and what makes you feel good. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why these trends and products that are coming out are so important and so exciting because they're making plant-based eating more accessible to more people. And I think it's just wonderful to see, really. It is. Yeah, it's creating creating possibilities for new ways of evaluating and incorporating foods into your diet. That's not a bad thing. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me and something I want to explore more is the accessibility of plant-based foods. Like what I'd love to see trend is eventually the cost come down so that the incentive for people who are only choosing items because they're cheap, you know, I want to see plant-based products become cheaper than meat. And so there is no argument that, ah, it's cost prohibitive. It's actually better for you, better for the planet, and it's less expensive. That's where the demands really can help that shift. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think we've come to the end of those trends. I think there are many, many more that we could cover that we will in a subsequent episode. But I just want to say thank you so much to you, Brie, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having my first guest, or <laughs> collaborator, really. 
Thank you, Lizzie. I always love chatting with you. And I, I think there's some really fun topics that we get to explore on this podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Wow, thank you for all that you do. It's been lovely having you on and hopefully we'll have you back again. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> great. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. A little note I wanted to give to this episode is that whilst the trends and products mentioned are incredibly exciting and show just how many options vegans have these days, they are by no means essential components of eating a plant-based diet. Truly, vegan eating can be inexpensive when you fill your diet with whole grains, beans, fruits and vegetables. And these convenience products we're talking about today are really just luxury add-ons. It is an absolute privilege to be able to afford them as they're not cheap and one we definitely acknowledge that we're able to do. And I think really what myself and Brie would both love to see is a trend towards many of these products becoming more mainstream and therefore cheaper and more accessible to all because that is so important and that is why we're here. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review or a rating at Apple. These reviews are incredibly helpful as each one makes the podcast show up slightly higher in the rankings. And I would also personally really love to hear your feedback and whether you find my tips helpful. So please do let me know. If there are any questions or areas of vegan living that you'd love me to cover on series two of the podcast, you can DM me over on Instagram at Vancouver with love, which is where I am most of the time. I share a lot of tips and recipes over there and would absolutely love to hear from you. That's all from me and the team, and we will see you again in season two. Bye.